Hi, everyone. If you are joining me again, thank you so much. And if you're a new listener, I hope you enjoy. I'm loving all of the feedback from the season premiere location. Quick reminder that you can get your own piece of Real Scary merch. Just head over to realscarypodcast.ca and click on the heading Merch. So today I'll be talking about the Capitol Theatre in Moncton, New Brunswick, and the stunning Algonquin Resort in St. Andrews, New Brunswick. So you might notice that I'm really into the East Coast this year. Off the top, I would love to say thank you so much to Marshall with the Capitol Theatre. He was kind enough to chat with me about their resident spirit. I would also like to say thank you to Pooja, Josh, and Lydia from the Algonquin. They, like so many people this season, went above and beyond to bring us a special experience. So stay tuned for more on that. And without further ado, let's get started. The first location that I want to talk about is the Capitol Theatre in Moncton, New Brunswick. The Capitol was built in 1922 and was actually built directly beside another theater called the Empress, which was built in 1911. Both were of course designed for vaudeville performances, which is the same story with most of the old theaters that we have covered in past seasons. This was a huge industry at the time and the Capitol saw its fair share of noteworthy acts grace its stage. And in fact, the original dressing rooms remain behind the stage, virtually untouched. The Capitol, like so many other theatres, followed the same rough timeline, venturing out of vaudeville and into silent films, black and white movies, talkies, more mainstream films, and then eventually, when the industry took a bit of a dive in the 80s, both the Capitol and its companion, the Empress, found themselves slated for demolition. Thankfully, the New Brunswick Historical Society stepped in and the city of Moncton purchased the theaters in 1991. It turned out that the Empress was in quite rough shape, but the Capitol was in good condition and would be renovated as closely as possible to its former glory, opening again in 1993. So I spoke with Marshall, who has been involved with the theater for the past 20 years. He's an artist in residence and oversees the theater school that runs there. It became very clear that Marshall was the perfect person to chat with, as he's the longest-serving person to this organization currently. So he was bound to know the kinks and quirks of this theater. There was an incident that occurred in 1926, just a few years into the life of the theater. A devastating fire happened, and as firefighters were battling the flames, one of them tragically lost his life. Marshall told me that this man, Alexander H. Lindsay, also known as Sandy, is the only fireman to have perished while fighting a fire in this city. So that was very tragic for the city and for the firemen who worked with and knew him. It seemed that he has not left the theater, however, and in fact, he has maintained that life-saving instinct. Marshall recounted a story told to him by a former employee some years ago. She was working at her desk, and at this time the phones were large units with light-up buttons for different lines. She was working away when the lights began to flicker, alerting her to different lines being on. She picked up the phone, but it was dead. 
She thought it strange, but continued with her work. The lights began to flicker again, and so she went out into the upper lobby, and that's when she smelled gas. So she called 911, and the fire department came out, and it turns out that a service station a couple of blocks down had had a spill of some sort. The gas had gotten into the sewers, and it turns out that any little spark could have resulted in quite a catastrophic explosion. The firemen told her that it was a good thing that she called them. So it was believed that this was Sandy trying to warn her of this potential disaster. A portrait of Sandy hangs in the theater's main lobby, facing the ticket booth. It's clear that this spirit is honored for the sacrifice that he made in attempts to save this building. Aside from his heroics in the afterlife of saving employees from a potential gas explosion, people have reported feelings of being watched or cool breezes. Marshall told me about back when he first began his work at the Capitol. He said that there is a passageway to get onto the stage and he would frequently have strange sensations. The hair on his neck would stand up, he would feel a chill, and once he had gotten on the stage, the feeling would be gone. Now one time, he was walking across the stage when he looked up into the balcony. He saw a fellow sitting in a seat, and he knew right away that this just couldn't be. He was the only person in the theater at the time. He, of course, brought it up to his colleagues, who all seemed to brush it off and simply say, that's our ghost. He said that there is a theory that he later found out, saying that in that narrow passage where he felt those strange sensations is exactly where Sandy was killed. I had to ask about another spirit that I've heard resides at the Capitol, and Marshall confirmed my suspicions, that it is a manufactured spirit. The legend goes that a young girl had gone to the concession stand, which is actually now the ticket counter, and was running back to her seat when she tripped and fell down the stairs, dying. This is rumored to have happened in the 1970s, but has not been corroborated by evidence and appears to be a story that is not rooted in an actual event. Remember, this doesn't mean that people don't feel something there. This story is just not necessarily correct. This is a beautiful theater. I'll have images and links on the blog for you to see. Now they, like so many other places in the arts, have really been struggling during this time. So show them some love in any way that you can, even if it's just giving them a like and a follow on social media. When it's safe to do so, please pay them a visit. And maybe if you're lucky enough to take a tour, you'll feel something quite magical. As Marshall told me, there is a certain magic in the building. When you think about how you're sitting in a seat that someone else 100 years ago sat in, you're touching the same surfaces. So thank you again to the Capitol Theatre and to Marshall for sharing their story. The next location I'm going to talk about is back in St. Andrews, New Brunswick, the same location as the Charlotte County Archives last episode. This is the Algonquin Resort. I've actually been wanting to cover this location for some time now, and luckily I did hear back from Pooja, the director of sales who put me in touch with Josh, who has been a member of the Algonquin team since 2017. He shared his knowledge of this location, but more than that, the love he has for this hotel and its history really came through, and I'm excited for you all to hear what he had to say. The Algonquin was built beginning in 1883 by St. Andrew's Land Company. 
It was a massive wooden structure designed by a Boston architecture group. When it opened its doors in June of 1889, the hotel boasted 80 guest rooms and even an observation tower. In 1903, the Canadian Pacific Railway purchased the hotel. Rail services were on a rise, and many members of society's elite began to build summer homes in this beautiful town by the sea. The Algonquin would become Canada's first-ever seaside resort. One element at this resort that I found really interesting were their salt baths. So this was a really popular trend at the time. It wasn't a new concept. In fact, people have believed in the curative effects of seawater and salt water far back into our history. But around this time, there were many resorts that offered salt baths to their guests and would draw them in by touting their medicinal benefits. The Algonquin had water pumped from Passamaquoddy Bay up the hill to the hotel. Guests would then use bathtubs designed with four different taps, two for fresh water and two for salt. Along with these healing waters, the air itself was believed to have healing properties. There's a great brochure that I found that talks about the Algonquin and all it had to offer the first season in 1889. Right off the top, it appeals to hay fever sufferers. The claim is that if someone came to the hotel with hay fever, within 48 hours it would be gone due to the healing nature of the clean sea air. If they were a sufferer but not afflicted when they arrived, the disease would not appear at all. There's even a full page of patron and physician testimonies. So sounds pretty amazing, especially for only $3 a night. Yes, it's wild to think that two people could stay there for four weeks for less than $200. Sadly, in April of 1914, there was some work being done on the shingles of the northeast wing and a charcoal spark found its way beneath the shingles and lay smoldering on the tar paper. It would burn through the wood below, and as written in an article on April 16, 1914, in The Courier, quote, great conflagration was the result. I just like how that was written. Yes, and that is putting it mildly. The hotel would sadly burn completely to the ground in a mere 30 minutes. One large factor that made the situation even worse is that the water had been shut off in the winter season and was not yet restored. This meant that there was not much for fighting power available. Only a few buckets, which really wouldn't have done much. The furnishings on the main floor were largely saved before the fire made it to them, but most of the contents of the entire hotel were destroyed. Thankfully, because the season hadn't started yet, there were no guests in the hotel. In the same article, it was written that it is the prevailing belief that while the destruction of the hotel has been a great loss to the town, it will lead to the construction of a more modern and more beautiful hotel. So that is exactly what happened, and relatively quickly too. Just the following year, in June of 1915, the hotel reopened. The new hotel was upgraded in many ways now with 220 guest rooms, enough accommodations for 250 employees, but most importantly was the attention to fire safety. The hotel was built of reinforced concrete, utilizing some of the original hotel concrete that remained after the fire. 
Metal fire doors were installed at different points through the hotel in the event of a fire to isolate sections of the hotel and hopefully to stop the spread of flames, or at least slow it down. I would assume that this was a great relief to guests returning to the hotel. Through the years, many celebrities have graced these halls. Prince Charles and Princess Diana, Theodore and Franklin Roosevelt, Lyndon B. Johnson, pretty much every Canadian Prime Minister at one point, as well as Diana Ross and the Supremes. I was really excited about that one. (laughs) The hotel would change hands a few times through the years, until 2013. This is when it was reopened as a hotel in the Marriott Autograph Collection. So this hotel is stunning. I'll have images, of course, up on the blog, but it's seriously so beautiful. It weirdly reminds me of the Stanley Hotel in the United States, the one that Stephen King stayed at and based The Shining off of. They don't look exactly the same, but there's just something about it that reminds me of that hotel. So now that we know some of the history, let's get into the spirits and stories of this location. I mentioned Josh earlier, and I had the pleasure of speaking with him all about the stories of the Algonquin. Josh told me that before working here, he had of course heard rumors of hauntings here, but it wasn't until 2011 when he was working for a security company and was responsible for the property at night that he had experiences that pushed him to seek out more answers about the ghosts that remain to this day. So first, I want to start with two deaths that are supposed to have occurred during that fire in 1914, a bellman and a night watchman. Josh did say that there isn't a lot of information about the night watchman, but that they do have a photo with the bellman in question from an old staff photo. The night watchman is the only spirit that Josh has seen with his own eyes. His former office is now a carpentry shop. And one night while out making his rounds, it was about one or two in the morning and he looked down at the windows by his feet, and that's where he saw a man standing in the darkness in that room. It's also common to hear him whistling and even hear his keys jingling in the kitchen and the hotel's tunnel. These would have been areas in his rounds back then. Now the bellman is one of the big stories here. Josh said that every winter... It's common to get a guest or two coming to the desk in the morning with a tip for the bellman, but they don't have bell people in the winter. So when asked for a description, it's always the same. Tall, slim, and salt and pepper hair with a tan suit on. Most often, guests will say that they met him in the elevator, that he's very nice and told them stories, helped them to their room, only to disappear when they turn around to tip him. Another experience associated with him is the smell of burning wood. Josh says that this is a sign to let them know that the bellman is near. One winter night just a few years ago, Josh, then in a management position, was working alone. He walked by the elevators, and the one that the bellman is said to have occupied opens on its own. And Josh is hit with the strong smell of burning wood. But there is nothing on fire because an interesting fact that he told me is that the hotel has not had a wood-burning fireplace since 2011. So there is just no way to explain that smell. The next spirit that I want to talk about is the spirit of little Benjamin. 
a little boy that is said to have passed in 1915 when he was visiting with his mother. Josh said that the windows used to be huge and right down to the floor. Benjamin was playing with his ball in the hallway on the fourth floor, and his ball bounced out of a window. It didn't have a screen. It's unclear why it was open, but he supposedly went after his ball and fell to his death. Josh said that an associate of his has seen Benjamin in room 478. She said that he was wearing old linen pajamas and asked, Have you seen my mom? She turned when she had heard something behind her, and when she turned back, he was gone. She didn't think it was possible for him to run out of her sight that quickly. But still, she did her due diligence and reported it to Josh, who went looking for a missing child that he, of course, wouldn't find. Other experiences with Benjamin is that people will hear a child giggling in that area. Now for the most famous spirit here, the crying bride. The legend goes that a bride was staying in room 473, excited to marry her true love, but he would not show up at the altar. Some say that he ran off, and in some more romantic stories, he was lost at sea. Whatever the reason, she was understandably devastated and could be heard crying all through the night and was found deceased in the morning. Now, depending on the version you come across, Some say she died of a broken heart, but others, Josh included, believed that she jumped from her window and was found deceased on the ground below. A common occurrence with this spirit is that the front desk will get calls from guests in room 471, asking for someone to check on the woman in 473, because she sounds very upset. These calls only occur when that room is vacant. Josh also told me that a guest had let him know she had a picture of her daughters that was taken in that room. There was a bearded and weathered man smiling between them. He did clarify that he hasn't seen the photo, but he told her to bring the picture on her next visit. And I hope she does, and then we can do an update. That would be a really interesting one to see. There are also some stories of people seeing an illuminated woman in white in the hotel's tower. Could that be the bride? looking for her long-lost love. Now, there are some other strange things that have happened on the fourth floor. For example, Josh said that in 2011, there was a constant phenomenon of alarm clocks on the fourth floor going off spontaneously. One was even unplugged from the wall, but still flashing 12. All of the lines on the front desk phone would ring at once, only for there to be static on the other end. I did ask if there was fact to back up this story, and Josh said that he did find an old article when he was searching through newspaper archives. The article was from 1915, shortly after the grand reopening. The newspaper was in rough shape, so the name could not be made out, but it stated that she was found on the ground below her window. I did try to find this article, and in fact, I tried to find mention of Benjamin's death as well as the two that were in the fire, but I didn't find anything. Now, this is not to say that they didn't happen or these articles are not out there. I looked through all of the editions of the Beacon newspaper that I was able to access, but I do know that they are not all digitized, so it's really hard to track them down, especially when I live on the other side of the country. So I didn't find any articles through my resources to confirm these deaths, but As I have said before, I am not an expert, 
nor do I have infinite resources at my disposal. And I have no reason not to believe Josh that he found these articles. That being said, let's say for argument's sake that none of these deaths actually occurred. Maybe the stories evolved over the years and were made to fit the phenomena happening here. Sure, that may very well be. But the important thing is, whatever the backstory is, it doesn't change the fact that people do experience these things. So much like the bride at the Banff Springs Hotel, in that case we know for certain that that story was fabricated. But the sightings remain true. So if you didn't listen to that episode, you might be thinking, okay, well, how could that be? Well, we talk often about stone tape theory and imprinting, etc. The phenomena of images, sounds, feelings, smells, etc. being recorded like videotape and basically replaying again and again through history. Well, these experiences could be just that. Could be the replay of a little boy playing in the halls and giggling while he chased his ball. Or the replaying sound of a night watchman whistling while doing his rounds. Perhaps the bride was left at the altar and her heartbroken cries have remained for eternity within the walls of her room. Years and years of experiences and reports is more than enough proof, at least for me, that something is happening at the Algonquin Resort. The last batch of renovations that occurred here were in 2012 to 2014. And during that time, Josh told me that the workers, and many of whom he had come to know over the years from other sites, had actually quit the job partway through. A few of them telling him that the reason was because the ghosts were coming out of the walls. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh my goodness. Um, yeah. Josh said that it was obviously shocking to hear from these blue-collar, burly construction men who just don't walk away from a job site. One of the electricians told him that he was working in the library and said that he looked out into the hall, and his tools were all spinning and going. But none of them were plugged in. Another worker said that he saw a woman in a wedding gown roaming the fourth floor, and another heard a child giggling while working on room 472. The contractors that ended up coming in to finish the job had a rule, that if you were working on the fourth floor, you had to have a partner. Josh said that while the activity does still occur, it isn't as frequent as it was before the renovation. So the spirits must approve of the work that was done. During peak season, typically in May, they will host at least one tour a night. Currently during COVID, they're able to accommodate about 20 people on a tour. If you're able to check it out, it sounds amazing. And Josh has actually rewritten the tour. He described it as not a script, but five pages of information. He said that the people who come to the hotel or on tours that are there because they've heard the Algonquin is haunted are the most fun on the tour because they are ready for it. (laughs) If you want to book a stay in this beautiful hotel and you're brave enough to sleep in the bride's suite, room 473, you'll want to book soon as that room is booking about 50 weeks ahead. This resort is stunning. I can't say it enough. It beautiful views, world-class golf course, gorgeous rooms, and of course, 
If you happen to have a paranormal experience of your own, that is an added bonus. That brings me to the end of this episode, and I hope that you have enjoyed the stories from the Capitol Theater and the Algonquin Resort. Two incredible places. Check out the Capitol Theater website to see what's coming up. There are many events scheduled for the coming months. Just go to capital, C-A-P-I-T-O-L dot N-B dot C-A. They are also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I will, of course, have all of those links available to you. Thanks again to Marshall at the Capitol Theatre for sharing your story. You can check out the Algonquin Resort at algonquinresort.com. A-L-G-O-N-Q-U-I-N-R-E-S-O-R-T dot com. I will also share links to their Facebook and Instagram and YouTube pages. So make sure to check those out and show them some love. That is an amazing way to support businesses during this time when you're not able to visit. Give them a like, give them a follow, interact with them on social media. Thank you so much to Pooja, Josh, and the Algonquin Resort team for chatting with me and sharing stories of their beautiful resort. Of course, if anyone listening to this visits either of these places in the future, please let them know where you heard about them. Check out the blog for this episode on my website at realscarypodcast.ca. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at realscarypodcast. And feel free to shoot me an email at realscarypodcast at gmail.com. Also, it would be great if you could drop me a rating on whichever platform you listen on and a review. That would be awesome. But until next time, this is your friendly neighborhood host, Elise. Elise.